0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 88th of The COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles, I'm a historian of disasters at Drexel University in Philadelphia. Today we have a discussion about mapping and the pandemic. You can catch COVID Calls live every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube Live. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can also watch COVID Calls on Facebook Live and on Periscope. You can hear COVID Calls anytime recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please do help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and topics, and please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. As of today, July 22nd, 2020, there are 15,008,046 confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally, according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. That's up from 14,774,887 cases reported yesterday. Of those 3,919,550 are in the United States, that's up from 3,858,686 reported yesterday. There are now a total of 142,350 deaths reported in the United States. That's up from 141,426 reported yesterday. We have a wonderful program today and a lot of interaction planned and several guests. So I want to get right to that. And so I'm going to introduce my first two guests who are going to be helping to facilitate the session today. And then we have four other guests who are going to be participating. And this is going to be a unique COVID calls and that we're going to have participation from those of you who are listening or watching at a distance and even ask you to send us some of your work throughout this hour. So really looking forward to that. I am going to jump right into the introductions. And let me just... Bring my first two participants in here. <clears throat> Let me introduce Yanni. First, Yanni Alexander-Lukissis is Associate Professor of Digital Media in the School of Literature, Media, and Communication at George Tech, where he directs the Local Data Design Lab. His new book, All Data Are Local, Thinking Critically in a Data-Driven Society, is a great book, and it's addressed to a growing audience of practitioners who want to work with unfamiliar sources, both effectively and ethically. He is also the author of Co-Designers, Cultures of Computer Simulation in Architecture, came out with Rutledge in 2012, and co-editor of the Digital STS Handbook. He's taught at Cornell, MIT, and the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, originally trained as an architect at Cornell. He attended MIT, where he received a Master's of Science and a Ph.D. in Design and Computation, and he completed postdoctoral work at the MIT program in Science, Technology, and Society. My second guest is Jer Thorpe. Jer is an artist, writer, and teacher living in New York City, best known for designing the algorithm to place the nearly 3,000 names on the 9-11 Memorial in Manhattan. Jer was the New York Times' first data artist-in-residence. He's a National Geographic Explorer, and in 2017 and 2018, he served as the innovator-in-residence at the Library of Congress. Jer is one of the world's foremost data artists and is a leading voice for the ethical use of big data his data-inspired artwork has been shown around the world, including most recently in Times Square, at the Museum of Modern Art, and at the Ars Electronica Center in Austria, as well as the National Seoul Museum in Korea. Chairs a Rockefeller Foundation Fellow and alumnus of the World Economic Foundation's Global Agenda Council on Design and Innovation. He's also an adjunct professor at NYU's. Interactive Telecommunication Program and is the co-founder of the Office for Creative Research. And he has a book out as well, um, just out this year, Living in Data. So Jer and Yanni, thanks so much for coming on COVID Calls today.
1: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having
2: us. Yeah, glad to be here.
0: Before I bring on our other four participants today, let me just briefly get um, a sense from each of you, where you're calling in from, and what the COVID nineteen pandemic situation is there. Johnny, I'm, I'm, start a, with
1: you. I'm, uh, we're, I'm right under the Manhattan Bridge, so I'm in Brooklyn. Um, we are in a much different state than we were uh, six weeks ago. It's, um, it's starting to feel something like normal <laughs> here, although I'm not sure. What that means—that's a very strange word—but um, but, you know, there was one point where I would go out and sit under the bridge in the evening and just watch the ambulances stream by along the FDR, and that is no longer the case. So uh, we're we're hoping for uh, as long of a, a, a an easing as we can get.
0: I'm teaching a course, believe it or not, uh, a history course on COVID-19. And uh, today we talked about the month of April, Jer, and and a minority, of course, seems like a long time ago, but just what you described, and some of those images from April are just absolutely arresting and how quickly, in my mind at least, I had put some of that behind me. It's um, extraordinary, and I'm I'm glad that it's turned the corner there. Thanks for sharing that. Yanni, let me... uh, Turn to you. Where are you calling from?
2: I'm calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, very different screen down here. I'm um, calling from a room behind my fireplace. You can see um, where I've been. Um, I've been um, at home with my partner and two small kids for many months now, and it's been a a, a different way of life here. Um, we've gone through. Um, a different trajectory I'll say than, than New York saw. I think early on we thought, um, you know, we had somehow dodged the bullet, but, um, things have really shifted and Georgia is now, uh, one of the States with the highest number of cases. And we have a governor that's in complete denial. Um, trying to open up, um, our university system here that I'm faculty at, uh, and, uh, really struggling to figure out what are the next couple of months going to look like um, and how do we prevent um, more escalation?
0: So I've known you guys not too long, just a uh, couple of years. We uh, started work together, uh, was looking to do a project with um, some other colleagues on the Anthropocene and we wanted to do a project in St. Louis. and I- sort of put out the bat signal to Twitter and I said who knows anything about mapping and geography in St. Louis and the answer came back Map Room which quickly turned up you guys and that's how we first uh, how I first found you and so um characteristically in our interactions I've come up with some kind of idea that I thought was a wild idea and you immediately said absolutely let's let's work on this mm-hmm. so thanks for joining today for this discussion and I want to bring in we have a uh, Panel of participants who are going to be with us today. So let me bring them in. The screen is now crowded with mappers, um, and let's get some let's get some introductions if we could. We'll just go around. Shivani, can I start with you, please?
3: Yeah. Hey, you guys. My name is Shivani, and I'm calling in from Fearless Hills, Pennsylvania, which is like a suburb of Philadelphia. It's about like 40 minutes away, and um, I'm a I'm a rising second year. Uh, student at Drexel, and I'm studying finance and econ. I'm really excited to be here with you guys today.
0: Thanks. And we have Chris.
4: Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Chris. I'm also calling in from New York City. I am currently getting my master's in urban planning from NYU, and I work at the Department of City Planning here, where I've been doing some pandemic response work as well. So
5: this is all really relevant
0: and timely. Great. Thank you, Chris. And um, let's talk to Bucky Stanton.
5: Hi folks, I'm, uh, my name's Bucky Stanton. I'm a graduate student in science technology studies up near Albany. It's a city called Troy, New York. Uh, and I study archeology span and resource politics. And I also help Scott with uh, a few things.
0: Great. Thank you, Bucky. And Rhea.
6: Hi, I'm Rhea. I'm a rising senior at Princeton. I'm studying human computer interaction and design. And I'm calling from right outside of Atlanta. So similar experience to Yanni.
0: Thank you all of you for making time uh, for this today. And we will have people watching and sending questions and comments. And as those come in, I'll put them up on the screen. So now we're all about to get very small on your screen as uh, I think Yanni's (laughs) gonna take uh, control and I'm gonna bring in to the frame here some discussion of what uh, the map room is and your approach to data and mapping, and then helping us think through a little bit about what COVID-19 is from a geographical and psychogeographical perspective. So let me bring that up on the screen there, and Yanni, I think you have it.
2: Thank you. Well, we're going to start really hands-on. and I'd like to actually um, pass it to Jer here, um, who's gonna take you through a little tool that he built um, just in the last couple of days um, to help you you all make some maps at home. And we're hoping that uh, as we talk, you can be drawing and before the hour is out, maybe you'll share some of that with us. So Jer?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I just made this, re- I should, should call it a tool slash experiment because we just threw it together really quickly with the hopes that people are going to have a a base on which to start drawing some maps because mapping is going to be so central to what we're talking about today. Um, So if you go and visit that site, yeah, you'll see just a really simple mapping tool and you can use the search bar to enter in an address. And what you want to do is just get an area on the screen that you think you're going to want to draw your map in. Um, As to what that map can be, that's really up to you. I started drawing one. Um, it's, it's a map of the area around me. Uh, I put some red crosses down there by the bottom. Uh, that's where the ambulances were parked when I would go for my uh, birding walk in the morning in the park. And I've just been adding some notes as we've been talking. And, and so there's actually kind of two things we wanna to do today as far as maps are concerned. To start talking about a map as an individual way to help document and maybe understand your pandemic experience, but then to think about maps as instruments to read um, other types of data. Uh, and and then I, I said two things, but there's three. And the third thing is to think about maps as a way to bring ourselves together and to think about shared experience. So I can use somebody else's map to understand how their pandemic experience might have been different than mine. And that, that could be a geographic difference. It could be a demographic difference. It could be an age difference. Could be all kinds of differences, and and that's what we want to get people doing. Um, I don't want people to feel too much pressure about about using the map tool right now. You can always go back later and build one of these maps. But what we'd love to do is get a collection of maps that people have built with this tool that we can start overlaying with each other, that we can start combining with data, um, and and do some fun things with. But for for now, really, all you need is a piece of paper and 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 something to draw with. I brought like. I've got my uh, crayons and I've got some uh, pencils and all kinds of things to draw with. Now you, yeah, you do need a printer, which we were saying maybe printers Ooh. are kind of rare technology. So again, if you want to, if you want to just do it without the interface, you can think about your neighborhood around you or even your apartment or something like that, that you might want to just start to draw. You know, I love it just to be thinking about using it as a note taking experience while we're, while we're talking. Um, and we'll, we'll get into more detail about, about what we'd like to do with the maps as we move forward.
2: You can see um, there's some instructions on the side. It says, you know, and this is our suggestion for how you might go about making a map. Um, search to find, use the search <clears throat> to find your home. So if I put in like Atlanta, Georgia, this will take me in here. Okay, so there's, I'm starting to recognize Atlanta. Here's I-20, I-75, 85 um, And you start to get a street grid. And then you can um, just or- orient this and find the extent that you want for the map. And this is going to be the base layer. And, you know, if you do Control-P, c- you can just print this. Um, and then use it as a base for drawing your own um. Paths and um, adding adding things that you want to add uh, labels or even you know you can put um, start to kind of paste stuff on there if you want um, and, and and get your own map. So.
1: Yeah, and when you print it out, there's a little QR code that prints out, yes. and we'll use that eventually to kind of align these things and add some data on top of them.
2: So go ahead and try it out as we're talking, and we're going to get going with the rest of our our. Um, Discussion here, and you know, feel free to ping us if you're having having trouble.
1: Yeah, you know, Scott, it's interesting that you 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 start your episodes with this this listing of data, and and it's been a real it's been a spring of data, and and as, as somebody who's been working with data for years and years and years, one of the reasons I came to the map room was to try to think about more personal um, ways to explore data. So you know, this project came out of a long residency that I did in St. Louis, which, which at, at the time started off as, as a really open-ended residency with an organization called COCA in St. Louis. Um, and then what happened partway through my residency is that uh, Michael Brown was shot in St. Louis, just out in, in one of the um, sub cities of St. Louis, and and the city became this this place that was really uh, centered around issues about racial justice and and investigating these deep inequities that had been historically such a big part of that. And so I kind of discarded any ideas I had that I was going to work on some type of uh, you know data artwork and instead thought, okay, let's make a place where people can come together and talk about their experiences in the city uh, centered around data.
2: So this is really the driving question, I think, for us, that's kind of helped the project to move forward. How do we create spaces in which people can examine, challenge, and redefine the stories that uh, they feel data are telling about their lives and the places they live? And how can they bring data into a dialogue with their own lived experiences? Uh, and maybe Jared can talk a little bit about how this unfolded in St. Louis, and then we can tell you about how it's subsequently um, moved to other places and taken diff- different, different, um, and new forms. Yeah. So the, you know, the idea of the map room actually came from
1: uh, two things. It was this this kind of. Uh, this cultural artifact of the space where lots of people would be gathered around a large table, like usually in wartime, they, they would be able to be using this map as a kind of means of dialogue. And, and central to my understanding of that was the scale of these maps. Like all of us interact with maps, but now more than ever, they're small. And, and, and so I wanted to think about what it means for people to convene around larger maps. And a friend of mine, Patrick Meyer, who who some of you in the disaster world may know, um, uh, did some work um, post uh, a large earthquake in Nepal, and uh, he showed some pictures that he'd done in Nepal of bringing these gigantic photographs of of uh, uh, the disaster area to the people who lived in these communities as a way to sort of for them to to think about how things should 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 happen as far as the recovery is concerned. So when we built Maproom, it was it was really thinking about bringing people together. These are convenings, and then we were thinking about scale so you can see this is in an old gymnasium um the maps themselves are ten feet by ten feet um there's thirty one of them hanging uh in in the gymnasium and and they they just offer you this really social scale to deal to deal with maps and you can see some pictures of people there on their hands and knees drawing and and so while they're drawing, it becomes a, a, a way for them to to think. You know, they don't have to worry about getting in somebody else's way. And then when people are convening around the maps again, it, it it's just a much different experience than trying to look over somebody's shoulder on their laptop. And and so that's really one of the big things we were trying to do. And you know, I always I always thought about map room, especially in this case, as a way to it's like a machine for changing perspective. So when I come into the map room, uh, I might look at a certain data set only from my perspective but when I bring a map down that's made by ninth graders or a map that's made by um, people who might be homeless or a map that's made by city workers I automatically see the city through a different lens than I would have before and therefore I see the data sets in a different way than I would have before and and so what we did is as well as as well as building the space and making curricula for the schools and and, and you know, hiring a really awesome uh, facilitator, who Emily Catedral, who did a lot of work with us, we also did this kind of what I call the data liberation task, which was, can we get all of these different data sets about the city and put them in one place so that people can overlay them on top of the maps that they've drawn? So you can see that it, this includes historical maps, um, sort of contemporary civic information, and then lots and lots and lots of different data, data layers that we put on top. So the experience of map of, of the map room, if you're a map maker, was that you come and make this map, and it usually takes a few hours. It can take, you know, up to a day, and then you can go through these layers and help understand how the city is changing. Um, and then, if you're a, a visitor to the map room, you can come in and take a map that somebody else has made and, done the same, and do the same thing with these map layers. And so this became what we found and what a lot of people told us was it was this kind of, this place where they could speak about issues that maybe they wouldn't feel comfortable talking about in another setting because you had this data in front of you that you might not use as, 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 you know, God's truth. I hope you don't use it as God's truth, but it's a, it's a reference point. It's something for people to kind of meet on. I, and I, you know, I always say that it, it it's like um it's like a dinner party, but it's like a data party and, and, you know we know that dinner parties can get heated and the conversation can 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 get uh um really engaged and that's the same thing we saw in in st louis with the map room so this this is my favorite map um it was made by a group of ninth graders from a school called Brittany Woods, um, and they, they made a map of, of all the places in their neighborhood that they felt were safe, and then and they colored it by who felt safe there. So you can see the, the little key that they made. Um, you know, they say these are some spaces that the black students in, in the classroom felt safe. Here's the, the places where the white students in the classroom felt safe. You know, here's some places that everybody feels safe. Uh, and so this was a really interesting map because then we could use all kinds of different data layers on top of it to investigate why why is why is that the case? Like, why do you feel safer in these places? And actually what the students really got obsessed with were these redlining red maps from the 1930s. And so what they saw is that when they projected these redlining maps that were drawn 80 years ago, the those boundaries still existed in their neighborhoods and this kind of really it just blew these kids minds and actually they went back to their school and they did a whole project about redlining where they uh, put posters up in their hallways and and, and in their neighborhood to like try to get people to understand what the legacies of these racist decisions were um, almost a century later
0: jared that i just want to linger on that point for a second this is scott yeah that to me is such a powerful um act that uh, you know these maps particularly uh, the ubiquity with which we can pull up pretty detailed maps on our devices now but that when you introduce that historical layer um those students will never look at at any map probably the same way again we had that same experience in philadelphia around the work of uh Geographer, historian, and Ann Wiston Spurn, who did a project about the Mill Creek neighborhood in Philadelphia, and, and have questions about, well, who would decide to put a building there? Oh, I see. They put buildings there because of certain people they expected to live there. And it was a cascade yeah. um, that led to, and I'll let people, you know, I'll let you keep going. But I mean, that historical layer, and that geographical layer yeah. of history mm-hmm. is a tremendously powerful tool.
1: Yeah and then you add this mark that you've made on the map right it's like it's made with your hand too and and I'm I'm somebody who's who for you know almost 3 decades now have have really worked with, almost purely in digital media so what I found here was was there like there's this visceral experience of like drawing on a map is something that helps you connect to those data differently than you would have before And then just to kind of bring back this word, which I'm obsessed with, with this project of convening, right? It's like it's not one person like clicking on an iPad. It's 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 sometimes 10, sometimes 12, sometimes six people in a room that are that are having these real dialogues. And so here's some of the maps which we don't see in in full detail. But you can see the styles of the maps are all um, very different. You can you can do all kinds of things. We we kind of left it open to people. So some people really painted their maps and they put handprints on it, and then other people really meticulously put notes. You can see one of them has photographs, um, and 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 that to me was really exciting. Like, can we give people some expressivity in the way that they're that they're building their own tools to interact with data? And and I think Yanni will get to this a little bit later, but one of the things we we maybe were surprised to discover through map room was that it also it really is a great instrument for people to be critical about data so <clears throat> more and more when, as we as the project unfolded we realized that this was a great tool for people to say whoa 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 this data set isn't right or the story that's being told about this data set isn't correct or mm-hmm. oh, i don't like the colors you're showing on this data set you know, I don't like that the city's data set about around poverty, like uses red as the color for poverty. Like, what does that mean? And so it was this really nice uh, way to you know, just get people to realize that like data is not necessarily this thing that is, that is etched in stone. It it, it can be questioned. It can be changed. It, and, and more and more as we're working on MapRoom, um, we're asking people to develop their own data sets. And that's a question we'll come back to later.
2: And just to add on to that, uh, what's really powerful about the, these maps that you're looking at is uh, people from around St. Louis, whether they were um, middle school kids or um, longtime residents, you know, they're drawing maps of the places they live. And what better subject um, is there to, to start to have a perspective a critical perspective on data because this is data about a place you know so you are very well situated to then say hey there's something missing here often i think we're looking at data sets about other places and other times a situation someone else is in. Mm-hmm. and yeah um, this is what, what what how the map room sets people up to really say actually i know something that's not in the data set i have something to add here and and they do so um, you know, obviously, I should go without saying that uh, I saw this project and was kind of blown away by it. You know, up until this point, I hadn't been involved in the project. I found out about this. I knew Jair um, kind of informally through um, conferences and things. Uh, and I I reached out to him because it spoke to me on a number of levels. Um you know, I'd been doing data visualization for years, but something I had always lamented is I you know I was trained as an architect originally, and architects love to draw. I, I've been drawing all my life. and here was somebody who had figured out how to connect data to drawing. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that and and work on it with, with Jer, And so we, we really try.
1: Sorry, just I don't want to interrupt. You. Can you put that back to one slide? I just wanted okay. to show. I wanted to show two things and then okay. talk about one thing. Uh, so the map on the far left, that's that's in the middle. You'll notice that that map is reversed, and that was a decision that the map makers made. They were like, "We want to turn the map sideways so that people will be kind of disrupted by the way that they read it." And then you'll see that there's that map on the far right, which they kind of did the same thing. They wanted it to be turned so that people uh, would would question their idea of, of what um, the relationship between East St. Louis and and the main St. Louis city is. And and then I should say that there are two other maps that were made that had information in them that people didn't feel like they wanted to make public. They were okay that people could come into the map room and see them because it was a an um, intimate space, but they didn't want them to be on the web. One of them was made by a group that serves homeless people and they had some safe places on that map that weren't known by the city, by the city officials. They were not legal sort of sanctuaries. So this is a really interesting thing to us too, to talk about like what kind of knowledge um, can be built into these map room exercises in this intimate space that isn't on the internet, that is in the map room that maybe people would not be willing to discuss somewhere else.
2: Terrific. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to breeze through a bunch of, a bunch more slides that show you um, other iterations of the map room that Jared and I have worked on together and um, that I've worked, that we've worked on with um, um, Chris and Rhea who've been very generous to join us.
0: Let me just remind people as you're going into that that you're listening to COVID calls, and we're having a special uh, discussion today about mapping and the pandemic. So, we're hearing about the work of Jer Thorpe and Yanni Lukissis in their map room and other collaborative projects. And while people are seeing this, we have our, our in house group that's also mapping, and those of you home or wherever you are, can also, um, if you just go to, I'm to put it back up on the screen, the site where you can go to do your own mapping. And then, um, so go ahead, Yanni, let's make sure we um, leave some time. We're going to end at about 6.05 today. So we'll leave time for people to share what they did.
1: We go got ahead. two maps already, by the way. Thanks to uh, um, Jorge and Robert, who both sent yeah. in their maps already, which is exciting, very Great, look to the I think
2: this kind of sums up uh, our thinking about how the map we could expand to other places. It really becomes an exercise in, in creating a number of, of, of local spaces where people can creatively and collaboratively, collaboratively explore data. Um, the, the first place we tried, this is in Atlanta, um, and this is a shot of a bunch of students at Georgia Tech um, drawing a map um, on a system that um, Chris really led um, the, the, the work to build this map room. And it looks very different from the map room in St. Louis. First of all, it's uh, not a square format. It's long. It's thin. It's actually 16 feet long and 4 feet wide. And using this kind of format, we could draw these kind of transects to the city. And, and we use this to draw maps of things like the Beltline that some of you might be familiar with, you know, um urban renewal uh, project that's happening in Atlanta um, that's, that's stirred a lot of controversy. Um, and in order to enable this um, linear mapping to work, um, Chris kind of ingeniously figured out how to um, mount a projector on a rail above that moves back and forth and um, constantly signaling the computer you know, where it is. So it's updating the image below. Um, and we made some really uh, incredible maps together. You can see a detail. Students took photographs and layered those onto the map and they added data. Um, they were investigating things, questions like how does the belt line um, um, related to gentrification that's happening in Italy. Um, whereas this new kind of infrastructure was being built, um, the cost of property was going up and people are being displaced. And of course, this has all kinds of racial implications as well. Um, here's a little diagram of uh, what the map room looked like in Atlanta. Um, then uh, Rhea came on board and we started working on a very different kind of map room. You know, a lot of people started asking how mm-hmm. could we bring the map room to them? Um, we want to set up a map room, and Scott was one of those folks. And so we were like, well, we built this whole apparatus, and it's kind of bolted to, this, to the ceiling. <laughs> um, and uh, so we started working on a portable version, which we call MapSpot. And here you can see it's set up at, our, at a conference. Um, and we basically took a short throw projector and turned it 90 degrees, and just put it on a tripod, (laughs) and you can turn any table into a mapping surface. So there you can see the projection. This is in New Orleans. People are drawing their walks around the city. Um, You know, We had, I think, um, probably about 50 people drew various walks they took around New Orleans, and then you can turn on data sets that would Um, start to show their walks in relationship to things like median income in the city or um, the percentage of college educated residents. Now, this is um, all data from the American Community Survey Um, or the percentage of uh, white occupants in those uh, census tracts. And of course, you know, you might have figured that these kinds of demographics relate a lot to gentrification. These are different indicators of gentrification. You can see how um, people walk in and out of different zones which which are are actively gentrifying in New Orleans. Um, Most recently, we brought the map room to Savannah, um, where we've worked with people like, on the left, you see Dr. McLean, who's an environmental justice activist who started a uh, a center called the Harumba House on the west side of Savannah. And she's gotten together with Kim Cobb, who's on the right, who's a uh, climate scientist at Georgia Tech. And they're looking at uh, sea level rise and how it's uh, impacting residents across the Savannah region. Um, and uh, the project has, in, has installed a bunch of sea level sensors, so here you can see one on a bridge in Savannah, um, at the top of the bridge um, in the center is Russ Clark, who's a, a one of the leading data scientists on the project. And they're getting data like this. Um, you know. But of course, what's really interesting is when we put it on a map, here's all the sensors that, um, that the project has installed around Savannah. Um, and this kind of data can be incorporated into models to look at things like inundation levels. So... Um, you know, where does the water go, and how is that going to change over time? You know, so here's yeah. current inundation, and by the end of the century, um, climate scientists are predicting that sea level rise could be up to ten feet in savannah. This is what that would look like. So you can imagine that this becomes a rich context for people to then draw their own experiences and where, you know, where are they seeing flooding? Um, how is it affecting their lives? Um, And we're doing this in schools, um, but also in in community centers. Um, Of course, you know, as we're planning all this, the pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, I end up in my basement (laughs) (laughs) um, with this device figuring out, okay, well, how does the map room now work? Um, You know, when we can't get together, we can't convene. Can you draw a map on your own? And, of course, I I, I experimented (laughs) with trying to draw some maps um, by myself, um, I took a lot of walks during this period with my two young kids, uh, Felix and Sonia, kind of around the neighborhood. They have a lot of energy they need to get out. so I've kind of been, been thinking about how to map that, um, taking photographs of you know how my neighborhood is changing. Um, but I think we're really excited. You know, in a way, the pandemic presents all kinds of new challenges from new subjects and new data for the map room to contend with, but also new constraints like social distancing. And so, I, I think we would like to use the remainder of the time to talk about um, what does the map room mean for how we might reflect on the pandemic, and what does the pandemic mean for how the map room has to continue to transform and be something new the people who are find themselves in new places, both spatially and, um, um, emotional.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it might be good to, to see if our studio audience, uh, either has some maps that they've started to make, or, you know, there's two questions that Yanni and I would love to put out to the group at large. So people who are watching as well as in the room. And one is, um, to, to wherever you live, um, what are the data sets that you would love to be able to sort of put on top of the maps you're drawing? And then second, who would you like to see make a map? Like whose life would you like to see in your city? So uh, we, we can use those as framing questions for, for – um, for our guests, and and if, if whoever wants to jump in and talk about maybe what what they've been thinking about with map with mapping and the pandemic and 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 any of those questions, that would be great to hear from you.
5: Well, um, I've been trying to use a, a screen grab. I don't have a printer, but I've been using a screen grab of of my local area in Troy, and I've been trying to map where I feel safe and where I don't feel safe, uh, and I've noticed that all the areas i don't feel safe are commercial areas basically they're the main throughways they're the gentrified areas of the town um and that gets me thinking in to your question that i would love to see because troy's a kind of small town near albany it's dominated uh commercially by a couple you know central nodal characters who have capital who you know kind of block by block scoop up and gentrify places uh, or build things in the area. and I'd love to see a map of their like where they're going because they're very visible in town these certain characters I don't want to like you know out them or anything but how, what what what's their relationship in spreading the pandemic since they own restaurants, they own uh, bars, they own these things and they have an incentivization to stay open and that the commercial density areas, are, are where I don't feel safe.
3: Um, One thing that I noticed was, like that first came to my mind on how this could be useful is, <laughs> so like since the beginning, since like March, I've been really privileged to, you know, be at home and like everything. So I've just kind of been thinking of ways that, how I can like kind of give back to my community without, you know, having to actually be somewhere. So recently, um, my township, they've been, They've been doing um, like a virtual food drive. And basically, like they, on their Facebook, po- they put up a Facebook post saying, if anyone has like any non perishable foods, like to donate, just, you know, leave them outside your house and um, we'll come pick them up with like with a non contact pickup, you know? Um, and like one immediate like thought that came to my head was, how cool would it be if we could use, uh, if a like, community could use Maproom to be like, hey, look, I have, you know, some non-perishable foods here that I like to donate and it'd be really useful. That is something that came in mind uh, for my community. Yeah.
6: Yeah, I think about where I'm interacting with maps right now and I realize it's mostly through Strava, which is like the cycling and running app. And when you start Mm -hmm. to track your runs or if you plan a run or cycle, you can see like a heat map of like where people are traveling. I think the biggest thing that I've realized through my experience with my friends and family is like, People are restricted more and more to different areas based off where they live. They live in a a a city with more or less green space, Um, or even just now in my area, seeing where people choosing to run. Why do certain neighborhood streets have more um, traffic here, and kind of um, what that might be an indicator of? I think that could be a really interesting layer to add on to the mapbox or mapspot. Yeah, that that's.
1: There, there, this concept of scale, I think, is one of the things that we wanted to to build into MapRoom from the beginning. And you'll see in St. Louis that some people map literally a block and other people map the whole Metro St. Louis area. And so I, I, for me, I've been really thinking about scale. Like I think all of our worlds have dramatically shrunk And and mm-hmm. uh, like, how, how does mapping operate to, to show that? And, and, so I think one of the questions I have about map about map room, which we really haven't talked about much, is how to do, how does how do people's kind of map how does the mapping exercise bind with time? So can I maybe make a series of maps that show like March twenty sixth and April twenty sixth and May twenty sixth and June twenty sixth and kind of how my life has changed mm-hmm. over that time? Um, and I think that's it, and that's a, a question that kind of relates to. To, to what other everybody has said already.
4: That was exactly what I was thinking about. I, I wish we had been able to do this exercise right before the pandemic, um, because especially with like a breakdown of, of transportation options and other factors that are restricting us. Um, I know personally, at least my sense of like home and location has been skewed pretty quickly by just the way that my life has changed. Um, but on top of that too, I just think it's it's the impacts of COVID have been so tied to geography that that's something I would love to spend a ton of time unpacking because every time you see any sort of like data set about this, everyone always wants to know what it looks like when it's mapped because they know that there will be disparities geographically because so many other social factors are tied in. So I'd love to do more exercises to get, you know, one layer deeper than just like, the number of deaths by zip code, because there's only so much we yeah. can learn from that, to really see how the pandemic has affected people geographically, depending on where they live.
6: I think kind of going off of that, seeing where where COVID is hitting geographically also makes us realize where pre-existing conditions, like we talk about these pre-existing medical conditions, these will already geographically, um, like, uh, dependent, and I think that raises a big question of why are certain areas more prone to X or to Y, um, and that can really pull out that kind of a question.
1: We we've also been interested in not only looking to the past but to the future. Like, can map, can maps be made that are speculative, and and what mm-hmm. might those maps look like? Um, and you know, for me, with with when Yani and I've been talking about this, is that you have those really central data data layers that make sense for COVID, like how many cases you, per block or per, per zip code, as you were saying. But then there's these other data sets that this condition of, of, of quarantine have made more visible. And Yanni was talking about, he brings his kids out to play in all these waterways, and he wants to know how polluted those waterways are. And that's something that you might not have considered before. Like the pandemic has changed your, your view of that. For me, it's like I became a birder during the pandemics, but during the pandemic. So now I like read my neighborhood through, through birds. And that's like something that's completely changed for me. And, and even though those, those things may seem kind of trivial and quotidian, those are the types of things that MapRoom mm-hmm. serves very well, as opposed mm-hmm. to these, I think, quite blunt um, uh, data, data maps that you typically see that, that don't, ca- don't capture a lot of nuance.
2: I think that's a great point, Jer. We're all seeing our neighborhoods in new ways. Um, you know, we're maybe spending a lot more time in them. We're moving through them differently. You know, I think one of the, one of the funny things that this this creek issue brought up for me, because I, you know, of course I'm like, oh, should I let my kids kind of weed in this creek? And of course I went looking for data about um, about those creeks, and of course it reinforced everything I I, I should have known, which is that data is available but it's not necessarily accessible like it's a lot of stuff on like different kinds of bacteria you know um in units that i don't understand and like reinforcing this sense that you know there's a lot of data out there about the places we live but it's kind of inscrutable a lot of it and we need um better ways of um You know, not just putting those data into dialogue with our lived experience, but also um, learning the context around those data. And I think that the map room used to be a space in which you'd get together with experts. You know, when I would get in the map room with Tim Cobb and she would talk about, you know, what do these sensor readings on sea level mean? Um, That was incredibly helpful. But without, you know, somebody there to fill in that context, it's really hard to know what to make of the numbers. And, you know, we're seeing this, you know, every day in the news as well, of course. You know, there's lots of data about the pandemic, but there are many, there are just as many different ways of interpreting it, you know. Um, so I think that's a, a persistent challenge. That, also, I mean, it, 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 oh, God. It, it
1: brings us back to like, this idea that, like, Experiencing data is a lonely thing usually. It's usually you <laughs> and and not anybody else. And 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 so I think one of our Yanni and I's open questions is certainly in a context like this, which I think we've all been familiar with lately, in like a Zoom room with breakouts, you can like get close to some something where where you have a collaborative experience, but like how can we make that closer to that word convening and how can we bring that kind of dinner party aspect of it back? For me, I, I question um, things like duration. So Map Room was open for six weeks in St. Louis, which which was really un- important to us. It meant that people could get there who might not otherwise be able to do so because their lives are more chaotic or more differently structured than ours. And so like, how do we maintain some of those things that really work for, for Map Room and not have it like actually be an institution?
0: I'm, I want to remind people who listening to COVID calls, and you can see the link here, and I'll make sure we can tweet out the link and keep that available for folks. Um, but just based on this conversation we're having, I'm seeing so many different dimensions of this that also helps me think about – so one of the insights that has come, I think, from disaster research at this time is the importance that we don't treat the pandemic – and the racial violence and the economic collapse separately. But we think about them in an aggregate, and we think about the relationships among those three so that it becomes something more complicated on purpose, so that we don't make it less complicated, and therefore our response isn't as robust as it could be. When you add on, just listening to this great conversation, this sort of mapping layer, um, which to me, in a sense, stands in for the desire to acquire data and knowledge for safety in the middle of the disaster, which quite often is a problem in disaster research more generally, like how do I find out where the water is or isn't? How do I find out where the fire is or isn't? Often that kind of data gathering is very quick and its um, utility is pretty short-lived, but you're describing the formation of maps right now, which will have a utility for many months, if not how long until a uh, vaccine and longer than that. And I'm not sure we've seen anything like that, but it's another sort of layer of information that's necessary for a disaster response. I think Public officials yeah. who are trying to understand and manage this disaster still manage it very much the way you all have described, like what county is safe and what county is not safe. That is not adequate in this time at all, either in terms of knowing where danger is, but also maybe where repair is or where solidarity is, where community is. You we yeah. need a lot more of this kind of work to move it into that space, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good point. And I, you know, when when and I talked about this discussion, I think one of the things that made me sort of hesitant was that I don't I don't want people to think about this exercise of mapping that has to happen within this hour. In fact, it shouldn't happen within this hour. It, it should happen over the course of days and, and longer. It, 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 it could be something that you come back to months from now with some some insight that you hadn't discovered. And and that, that's something that I think we would love. I think what we're trying to do as a first step here is to, is to imagine exactly that. Can we make these kind of open-ended map rooms but then get these little points where we can come together and, and meet around and discuss these things because I, I, what we'd love to do with these maps that everybody's making is is to put them into a and, and kind of overlay them on top of one another in an interface that then allows you to do some of those things about being critical and, and, and reading through data and then to come back together and talk about them. That's like what we'd like. I guess, in an ideal scale. That's what it would look like.
0: Are we at a point where we can see some of the maps that have been made in this, like a cooking show? This is what we were saying yeah. <laughs> before. Uh, now that we've been talking, we're gonna produce the...
2: I saw that some of you all made maps. Um, you wanna hold, hold them up or just tell us about them? Or you can share screen if you if it's yeah. on your
6: screen. I have Who one... wants to
0: go first?
6: <laughs> I Raya, have
0: a lot of d- Raya, you're going yeah. first?
6: Let's see okay. if I can oh, do yeah. this. It's on my iPad, so I don't know if you guys can see that. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you guys can. Okay, cool. Yeah. So this is where I am. I um you can see the kind of a purple line. That's all the places that I've been biking and walking near me. Um mm-hmm. it has not been fun. It's very hilly here, so mm-hmm. it's been interesting. And then I also highlighted all the water because i'm spending my time by water it's very calming to me and i've been swimming in some of the lakes and then all of the yellow spots are kind of the places that i have spent significant times so there's my house there's the spot by the lake that i go to the long one is the kroger where i go grocery shopping and the one down at the bottom is the ice cream store of roosters so there's a photo of one of my runs by the lake um this is kind of where my world has been so yeah Thanks for sharing
2: that,
1: yeah. Can you think about like what, if you could put a data set on top of that, what, what would you be interested in seeing?
2: Either oh, a static
1: really one or a time-based one?
6: Um, that's really interesting. I think I would love to see the the map layer that we already have percent white occupancy. This is not the area that I grew up in necessarily, I'm staying with family. And um, given everything with like Black Lives Matter, it's been very interesting to be in a much more white space Um, through all of this. And so I think that would be interesting to kind of um, visualize that, like, with the different shaded regions, um, kind of where I'm staying. And then versus where I've lived, like, at school at Princeton, or um, before I went to school to kind of compare how that feels in this time.
1: Yeah, and so one challenge I would give you, because we don't really understand what that looks like, is, like, what does a notation look like for that map? Like, is it it on the map? Is it separate from the map? Is it written? Hmm. Is it spoken? this is this is something that i think we're trying to to understand in this new kind of virtual map room uh, about how yeah. these things do get like what you just said essentially how does that get attached to the map such that so when somebody looks at it they can understand that in that in yeah. the kind of physical space people chat around it and, and and so what does that mean when we can't be together at the same time
6: yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I can see the shades. Like, in an ideal world, it'd be really awesome if I could put on my, like, AR goggles and, like, see different layers rise up with different things. There's lots of different ways to think yeah. you could could bring that to life at home.
2: Thanks, Rhea. Um, it really brings to mind one of the things I, I think we, we've lost in this moment, um, which is It normally in the map room, you get to draw your route for your the space of your 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 life, and then you see where it intersects with other people's experience, other people's routines. And I think it's very hard to do that now. Um, and, um, you know, we're hoping that we can collect these maps and, and, and do some of that digitally, but it's certainly a, a different kind of effect um, that you get. Um, like, yeah, you know, you're shocking. not reconstructing those.
0: Okay. We have a last five Chris, minutes. You ready? If
4: anyone
0: else know, has a map, we can. Let me try to pull this yeah, up. Yeah, let's, let's let's get me. everybody in. I think I can give you the screen, Chris. What do you got?
4: Yeah, let me share that here. So I drew, um, can you all see this now? I drew um, an initial bike ride I took way back in April, which was really at the peak of when the pandemic was hitting hardest here. I think what's interesting, though, about this, Of course I was in the middle of all the streets here, but this could really have happened any day. Um, And what isn't captured here is the fact that like the the frame of the city was here, like the form was unchanged, but there were no people whatsoever anywhere in the city. And it's really hard to capture that kind of like organic part um, that you really can't see like on a static map, even if I I couldn't draw that if I wanted to. So it's another interesting thing about that I am thinking about in the context of the map room is how do you capture some of those, those changing moments, especially the ones that involve people because the map of our city doesn't change day to day, but the way it feels really does. um, And that's a lot harder to to draw. Yeah. So a couple of
1: things I'd like to see on top of this, like with what you talked about, I mean, we can get historical traffic data. So it's like you could see, What that ride looked like the day you did it, and what it would have looked like a year before, right? Like, so to see that difference is really interesting. I don't know if you know this, but there are bike counters that go up, that that are on both the bridges, so you could sure. you could also sort of see like, hey, I was one of one of eighteen hundred people who went over the bridge on one year, or I was one of six that, that yeah. did on the the day that you did it. So I think those those um, types of temporal data, I think really give us a chance to to define because uh, that's it's a line, right? That line means something to you, but how do we make it mean something to others? And so again, that brings us back to that question of annotation.
2: Mm-hmm. Another data set that comes to mind is uh, data from something like Yelp about you know which businesses are opening up and and how. I think you know our routes, you know, through the city feel very different based on um, you know things opening and closing or opening in different forms or, or extents, um, people using spaces in different ways, um, and sometimes it's so shocking. I think going out and finding nobody there or finding all of a sudden people there, maybe doing things that you don't approve of or, (laughs) um, you know, that has really created a different kind of emotional space
0: in the city. Should we, um, should we bring Bucky or Shivani?
3: Yeah. Can you see me? Yeah. Um,
0: we can see you. Yeah. Do you want to show, you want to hold it up or do you want to share screen?
3: I just did it on my MacBook. Hold up, I'm, I'm going to share my screen. I basically just uh, drew out um, the running route that I've been doing. Do you guys see uh, that?
0: Yeah, here we go. One second. Oh, there
3: you go. Okay, so um, basically the blue line here is every single day in the morning I've been running um, just this running route. Uh, I didn't really get much time to expand on it, but um, it's just kind of a way – I've been just picking this route because I know that in the morning there's not that many, you know, joggers there um, around the lake. If you guys see um, Lake Caroline, um, but kind of similar to what uh, Raya was saying earlier, um, this could be a great tool for people, you know, just to see where there's a lot of traffic, like in terms of you know running, and where there's not. So yeah, I I would definitely expand it more, um, but I was just kind of playing around with it.
0: Can I ask a question that, because running and cycling are themes that are, and mine also was a a map of going into the forest and on mine, Shivani, I would, I was already trying to figure out a way to notate it where I felt like, first of all, where I saw animals, but also Uh where people were following I'm saying something about myself here, but where people were actually following like mask guidelines and social distancing <laughs> guidelines, and where people were not, like the dude who was blocking the bridge with his bike on the walking only trail and his dog off the leash with no mask for himself. Like, I could take you, I could, I've got a big red X on that spot on my map. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder, like, I, there's so much synchronicity between like what I would have mapped and what you'd have mapped, but could you add like an interaction layer there somehow, or even like a mental layer of like where on this map you felt more or better or worse or.
3: Yeah. So uh, when, when quarantine first started, I was trying to find different routes and one thing that I was really focused on was I know in the city, um, you, you know, there's no buttons I get to press across the street kind of go, but I was really trying to, you know, find routes that I didn't have to press um, a button to cross the street because this is not like a park or anything. This is just a lake that's near my house that I can just, you know, run from my house every morning. It's not like, oh, here's a trail and there's woods and there's animals and stuff. My main thing was I just didn't want to have to touch anything um, because I I don't know if you've, I don't know if there's these everywhere, but like you got to press a button to like cross the street. And I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't really want to (laughs) be touching (laughs) stuff.
5: But that's that's kind of one of
3: the main things I was looking at. Uh, it wasn't really like, oh, I yeah. want a nature trail or something. Um, but it was also <laughs> like, okay, where can I run that has a sidewalk and um, that I don't have to touch anything to be able to get by? Yeah, kind of what I was really thinking about. Right.
0: What an interesting layer that I never would have thought of. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the nice things about this
1: interface is, that, and the way that people are using it is that you don't have to be too precious about it. It's like, do something simple. You know, try something again. We don't spend too much time on these and we could iterate through them. And and that feels like something quite different from what we were doing
0: previously. Bucky, do you want to share a screen or you have something
5: to hold up? Yeah, no, I'll share my screen here. Um, oh, great. Okay. I'm the only one with crayons today. <laughs> Let me see this. Uh, I have a four-year-old. Screen one. I have Where? two screens. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Crowns are useful can in you, all settings. Whoa. Okay. Oh uh, Yeah. Can you see the map? Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is kind of what you were discussing, Scott. It's kind of a mental map that started where I feel safe and then it turned into a traversing and then I tried to overlay. So where, where you see the red is predominantly um, is kind of areas I don't feel comfortable walking around. I don't. They're commercial areas. Uh, they're kind of the like hotbeds where there's restaurants or takeout places. I just don't feel comfortable yet walking around there to the across the river. That's Water Valet. That's not Troy uh, across the Hudson River. And that also has some commercial areas that I wouldn't feel comfortable. And then this big red uh, blob is RPI. Obvious reasons why I wouldn't feel comfortable at a campus of eight. 10,000 people, but then I started to overlay some stuff. So the yellow is where I have actually been in terms of like sat and they are my house, the stewards down the street and several friends houses in the area. And the green light green area is where I've gone, uh, like for walks for green walks. And then once I layered that, I tried to layer in almost a sort of like a, like a, a populations demographics. And so you could see North Troy and South Troy indicated in blue, uh, with different stripes. And those are kind of areas that are more predominantly, uh, front like marginalized communities. And I would, the blue also represents like the borders of the blue where I didn't fill in were first from areas where I felt safe. And so then I mapped the dark gray area in the center, which is kind of the wider, uh, part of town, I would say, which is, of course, corresponding to the commercialized and gentrified part. And then I started to layer some other things. So you'll see a uh, light blue arrow in the right hand corner. That's actually the direction of the nearest grocery store uh, where like actual grocer that's not a bodega or a very limited uh, shop. So that was a visualization of just how far away it is uh, to the next grocer. Albany is indicated just to indicate kind of like how far away the sprawl would begin for that. And then I also have marked uh, this dark green or this medium green on the left is the next like is pointing north uh, towards what I would consider the next kind of batch of open green spaces. So this kind of accomplishes. Both the mental of where I feel comfortable, but also overlays some elements about Troy and uh, its demographics and its geographical layout that that I think are very interesting. I think it's awesome.
1: (laughs) I think I think, you know, the the sketchiness of it again, it's like the idea of using maps as a as a kind of brainstorming tool. Like, how can I can I use the map itself to come up with questions about what I might want to see on the map? And and I, I love that that feeling of yeah I almost want to be able to take these things and make notepads out of them so there's like now I have 30 pages of the same map that I could start drawing on and make questions about that I think would be a really useful um, exercise.
2: I think I think the messiness is so important again you know I think the thing about the map room that kind of breaks all the rules you can you know when you're there. You know, with the projection and the piece of paper, you can do anything you want to that paper, and you're not restricted in terms of what the data are supposed to look like, and you can kind of scribble notes and things. And um, I do think it's something hard to capture without paper, um, I I will say, but this gets close to it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow, this is great. Thank you all. We're almost up on time, but I want to make sure people know we've been. Uh, this has been a special COVID calls mapping the pandemic episode with uh, Yanni Lucasis and Jared Thorpe, and then as well as our special in studio guests, Shivani Patel, Bucky Stanton, Chris Pollock, and Ray Ward. Now, before we break off, Jared and Yanni, um, thanks again, but also um, I'm going to put this link back up. And we're going to have you back in um, a few weeks to maybe share a bit about what people email to you. How do you want people to get in touch with you? Do you they're going to go to this link: map me If you're listening to the podcast, yeah.
1: And then there's a there's an email address there that you can send maps to. Yanni and I are both on Twitter. You can you can reach out to us there. Um, and we'd love to we'd love to chat and and this is all a, an experiment and we're we're just interested in hearing from people about what what these discussions provoked about what you made and what you're thinking about um, and we've always thought of Map Room as this open space and we want people to feel comfortable to get in there physically and and like uh, cooperatively to help us out.
2: And I'll just add that you know we're really in a time of transition now for for Map Room as for everything, and and we don't know what the future of Map Room is going to look like. And there are people that want to be involved in that, that want to try out building a new kind of Map Room, whether it's a socially distanced Map Room or maybe it's a Map Room outside where everybody stands six feet apart. Maybe it's um, a Map Room where you have to sign up for a time to come visit it and add your layer. Um, I think there are all kinds of possibilities and we're looking for creative ways forward and and we'd love to work with some of you all.
0: I want to thank Bucky Stanton and Shivani Patel, Chris Pollock and Raya Ward for creating maps and just spending some time with us here today and showing us the range of creativity that people can undertake on their own and then send these to Jair and Yanni, and we'll have them back on COVID calls in a few weeks. So, um, wonderful. Much more to say about all of this. I was just thinking we do um, pot, we do uh, transcripts, as Shivani knows very well, of the COVID calls episodes. And this is going to be a particularly unique one to transcribe. We're going to have to have a whole map inset for this particular uh, grouping of, uh, of the COVID calls. So, thanks for making the discussion really interesting today. I appreciate it. Thank
2: Thank you. you, you. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you.
4: Anytime.
0: Stay healthy, everyone. COVID calls Monday to Friday, 5 o'clock. We'll see you next time.
4: Bye. Bye.